And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out my weekly email where I'm sharing actionable website and marketing tips, useful podcasts, free goodies, resources, and much, much more each and every Monday so you can kickstart your week off with a bang. Give it a shot over at businessgrowth.emails. Joining me today, I've got Jesse Lysak. She's the Chief Marketing Officer over at BDEX, podcast host at Whiskey Wednesdays, and also host over at Deconstructing Data. Jesse, a very warm welcome. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Happy to very be here. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to chatting. And we're going to be talking about an interesting one today. We're going to be chatting why B2B lead gen should be for the sales team and mm. not for the marketing team. We're going to talk about how marketing's evolving and kind of different angles of what you believe sales and marketing should be considering in 2022 and beyond. So first and foremost, I thought marketing were, were supposed to, to supply the sales team with leads. What's, what's, what's the score there, Jesse? Yeah, that's a great question. So this can be kind of controversial, you know, but it really shouldn't be. Um, but I think the way to really start thinking about it is to think about history and how we got here. And I'm just going to take us back to like, say, 2014, 2015. Sure. So, you know, if we go back to 2014 and 2015 and we think about sales and marketing, we think about marketing, supplying sales with with leads, right? MQLs, mm. that's their goal. That's their metric. They're supposed to go out and they're supposed to bring in leads. And this is when we got into gated content um, and marketing would do anything by any means just to get an email address, right? Yeah. Um, just to get a name. Um, and it didn't matter whether they were ready to buy now or not, but just the fact that we could get that email address and sell the sell to them for years to come had value to it. But fast forward to now, times have changed. Data is available. We right. have tools such as Zoom Info, Seamless, Lead Magic, you know, there's like there's a million different tools um, that you can use to equip your sales team with to go out and find that data themselves. So marketing doesn't have to gate our content. We can put our best content out there for people to actually read. Um, and you know, one thing we can do even is drop a pixel on that content and you, you, know, you don't have to gate it anymore. You can still see the activity you're generating. And so you know, if we start stop measuring marketing success on leads, then we will start to see more demand generation. And so that's where we're, we're moving into now. So what I tell my sales team at VDEX, it's like, if you guys want leads, I can bring you leads all day long. But I don't really think that's what you want. I think it's marketing's job to filter those leads. Mm -hmm. We want qualified, educated leads who are reading the ebook um, and who are seeing our best content and then coming in ready to buy. So that's the goal. So, you know, with Zoom Info, for example, your sales team, they can go find their ICP. They can use sales sequences to reach out to their ICP. They can make those phone calls. Marketing can target them with ads. So sure. that is modern day lead gen. Um, nice. Yeah. So with that said, Jesse, what is your definition of a lead? I suppose that's sales ready. So it's actually ready to have a buying conversation and talk business as opposed to something that your sales team can just quickly research and then put through their process, whether that's email, whether that's 
kind of email sequence or giving a cold call or whatever they they choose to do? I think there's really two ingredients that a marketer needs to aim for. um, And that is closing the trust gap. That's ingredient number one. And it's educating your lead. So that should be the difference between your sales cold leads that they're pulling out of Zoom info and those leads that are coming in on your web forms on your website. So ideally, marketing is on LinkedIn, like we are now, um, building relationships with people, sharing expert content um, so that they see us as the ones who, who know everything. So then when they're ready to buy, they know us and they're ready to come in and we've closed that trust gap. So yeah. yeah, those are the two pieces, trust gap and then education. You need to have good content. That's where the demand gen piece comes in. Podcasts, ebooks, blogs. Give them information that is valuable, that educates them. Don't just sit there and write an ebook about your company and packages, package it up as educational. Um, that's not educational. You know, what your audience wants to actually learn is not about your business. It's how they're going to succeed. So that's what you want to teach them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and that makes sense, right? Actually giving something that's valuable to your buyer. What's in it for them? Kind of how can you fix their problem? How can you make their life better? How can you actually improve something they care about doing? And I want to jump into some actionables that perhaps you've you've done for your businesses that you've seen work that our audience can steal in a sec. Um, but I suppose it'd be quite interesting to know what's the cutoff, as in where does sales stop and marketing begin or vice versa in terms of mm. if sales should be kind of prospecting and kind of finding the lead lists and, and generating conversations that way. Um, what are marketing actually doing? Are they just kind of putting out a bit of content on LinkedIn and hoping for the best? And then when, when something closes, they take all the credit? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. But, you know, there is that, it's, it's different, right? Because shoppers, we think about today's buyer. We just went through a pandemic, right? So sure. how have we been shopping for the last couple of years? We've been looking online. We've been doing mm. our own research Um, you know, you can go online and you can buy a house if you want to, and you can get all the information about that house. I mean, I literally did it myself, never stepped foot in this house before my husband and I bought it. We're kind of crazy, but literally we could find a guided tour. We could find the history of like all the different prices it was ever sold for. We could like, you know, there's so much information online and your B2B buyers want the same thing. If they can buy their house online, they want to be able to buy their software online too and research it and get all the information about it before they actually close. So now we have marketing, you know, yes, we're putting out content. We're doing that top of the funnel stuff, but once it falls into the funnel, we need to be able to understand that buyer journey so that we can make sure that we're directing the buyer to the right place with the right information that they're seeking um, so that they can just click to upgrade. Because ideally, you know, it at this point, um, you know, once they're in the buyer journey, um, it becomes sales assisted, right? So sales can still sure. be involved. Marketing is also still involved because a lot of the time those purchases will happen on the website. So, you know, we are still involved down, down through the funnel. Yeah. But it's a team effort. And I think communication is key because as sales is assisting the buyers through this journey, right. they are getting so much valuable information Hopefully, you know, they're, um, the marketers are sitting in on those calls. I know, you know, a lot of marketers want to be sitting in on those calls, but there's also a lot of marketers who don't. I think that's more common is you get marketers who are like, I don't want to sit in on sales calls. But honestly, 
you don't need to sit in on all of them, but to be able to sit on a few of them, that's where you're going to get the most valuable information um, firsthand out of the customer's voice itself. Like, of course, sales needs to be able to communicate that stuff to us because we're not going to be there for all those calls. Um, But that's where, you know, working together and communicating come hand in hand. So it's not just sales. It's not just marketing. It's both that have to work together and they have to be able to communicate. Got it. Gotcha. So you raised an interesting point, Jesse, talking about self-service on the B2B front. And I think a lot of B2B companies, this is quite controversial, but that probably scares the daylights out of them because they think, well, I want all I want this visitor to do is go on my website and then click request a demo or request a call. And then I want my sales team to speak to them. And then I want to sell to them. Right. Um, whereas if people can actually go on the site, which I think is fine for some software as a solution, some SaaS companies where you've perhaps got maybe a lower level solution, and let's say it's lower ticket and the prospect, this is my own opinion, right? I'm not saying this is gospel, but this, let's say a prospect lands you on a site. They can learn about what you do. Maybe they've been consuming your content. Maybe they found you on Google, whatever. They've headed to your site. They've learned a bit more about what you do, how you can help them. Maybe look at case studies. They jump to your pricing page. They see three or four tiers. Maybe you're a SaaS provider, $20 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, whatever. They pick an option, fine, they purchase. But when we're talking higher level solutions, Typically, if you've got an enterprise level company, maybe you've got, you need 10 seats or more for a product, you usually have to talk to a sales rep. Um, do you think that these kind of higher level where we're talking about thousands of dollars per month, tens of thousands even for some products, as opposed to a few hundred bucks, do you think those should be self-serve or what, what's your stance on that side of things? Because I think that's quite an interesting convo. And I, see, I can see that in years down the line, you might be able to buy big products online in the B2B environment, but I'm curious to know what you think. Not even down the line. People can do this stuff now. Um, right. You know, and even, you know, I look at BDEX's pricing page. Our smallest tier starts at $2,500. Um, and so it's not just those smaller ones anymore. Just like a house. I was mentioning a house earlier. That's the biggest purchase some people make in their entire lives is their For house. Sure. For sure. But people are comfortable enough now that, they just shop online. They want to get that information. Um, and that's why I was mentioning the trust gap earlier. You know, there's when you have someone coming at you cold, mm. you have to build that trust with them. Then you have to get educated by them. Um, you know, so I think even when you're dealing with thousands of dollars and at that level, it's the same situation because the buyer experience has changed all around for everyone. Now there will still be people who, you know, want, who will never purchase something like that online. And that's completely understandable. Um, and so that's why, you know, we have to just, you know, you have to, you have to have it all right. You have to put it out there for the people who are ready to buy online and have your pricing page and have everything ready, but you do need to yeah. have that sales assistance. Like that's what I keep talking about is sales assistance. Cause even your buyer, who's going to pull the trigger over, a phone call or an email or a video chat, they're likely still going to Google you and they're likely mm-hmm. going to Google your competitors and they're mm-hmm. likely going to Google your reviews and they're likely going to look at your pricing page. So, um, you know, like all this stuff still matters where they end up pulling the trigger matters, you know, a little less. Um, but yeah, I think we still have to think the same way, whether you have a large budget or a small budget. Sure. Sure. Or building product or, you know, less expensive product. Yeah. And like you mentioned, building trust is a, is a key one. So, because without that, no one's going to buy your stuff. 
Chili Piper's automated scheduling tools are super effective for booking and scheduling demos. I could chat about them all day long, but why not listen as a new customer witnesses the magic of Chili Piper for the very first time? Okay, you're just about to switch gears. I'm ready for it now. Hold on. Oh, we, we got one. We got one? We got one. Oh my God. Ah, yes. All right. Via ownership to one of our A's pinged me and goes, guess what just worked? Exactly how it should have happened. This is exactly how it should have happened. I could have done it. Oh my God. You are incredible. So there it is. Proof of the power of Chili Piper. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R.com slash BGS. Chilipiper.com forward slash BGS. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads. But when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers. All because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. So yeah, I was talking about this actually on LinkedIn the other day and comparing a few, few different kind of personas. For example, if someone's been following you, whether you've got your own kind of strong personal brand on LinkedIn or you've got a strong company brand been following you for a while, I was saying my thoughts were because they've built so much trust, they followed your content perhaps for months and years. doesn't actually matter. As long as your website's not terrible and it gives a clear idea of what you do, how you help, gives an idea of pricing, they're probably still going to, go ahead or speak to sales or request a demo, whatever that next step is, because you've got the trust there. Whereas if someone's coming in cold, perhaps they've had an intro call from a sales rep and then they're researching you. Perhaps they've just seen a cold ad on Facebook or LinkedIn and then they're checking out. This perspective is completely different, right? Because they're seeing your brand or hearing about your brand for the first time. Uh, they have no idea who the heck you are. They might find you on a Google search too. What, are you th- what do you believe are some elements that are important when it comes to building trust with buyers? Ooh, so that's a great question. And I think that a big part of it is just be a nice person, you know, just uh, be human. Um, People can see through the fakeness now. Don't just come at them out of the gate talking about you, talking about your company. It's just like building a relationship in any human situation, Mm. Um, you know, it's like, I use the analogy of dating. So like, or getting married, like you're not going to propose to someone on your first date, or at least most people don't. Um, so why would you, uh, you know, pitch someone on the first impression? And so, you know, that right there, if someone proposed to me on the first day, I would be highly skeptical. Um, and my trust wouldn't be closing. 
So if someone pitches me on that first impression without understanding me, what I need, what I'm working on, why I might need this, then I'm going to be skeptical. So, you know, in terms of closing the gap, I think it just comes down to being human and not being a fake salesy person who's just going to come out and pitch everybody, right? It's building relationships. It's also demonstrating that you're an expert. So, you know, I will go out and make social posts about data. Today, I made a post about zero party data, first party data, second party data. Now that's a very, you know, basic um, post for someone in the industry who's already, you know, knee deep in data. But for maybe our buyer in the next five years, they may not know these things. So I'm starting to close the trust gap with them. I may not even know them, but they're reading that post and they're seeing me as an expert. Um, and so I think that's one thing that starts to close the trust gap because who do we want to trust? You know, we want to trust those people who know what they're doing, like a doctor. We're not just going to go trust anybody to diagnose us with, you know, whatever our health ailments are. So, you know, it's the same thing. We don't want to go trust some random person we've never met to advise us on our business software. Um, same thing. So I think it just comes down to being a nice person, um, you know, definitely not being condescending or talking down to people. It's all about lifting them up, making them feel good about themselves because they may not remember anything you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. Yeah. Yeah. I like that summary. I like that summary. So it's, it's interesting. And I know I've bought from people that I've perhaps followed on social. I mean, the main one I hang out on LinkedIn. So I've quite literally bought from people just because I followed them for so long and trusted so much in what they've shared, just because they were sharing like actionable, practical, practical tips each day on their area of expertise in their industry that I kind of after six months or so I thought well this person is the go-to for their sector purely because I see them every day in their feed and what they're sharing is actually helpful and then eventually when I needed their their service I went to them um so yeah that's that's interesting I mean taking this to to kind of some actionable examples Jesse and, and feel free to use what you've done at BDEX or what you've what you've found working for you at any other company in the past what do you think are some of the most relevant go-to-market B2B strategies that you feel that businesses should be kind of really putting into play right now? You know, I think the number one strategy is to not just listen to someone like me and hearing <laughs> what I'm doing. Honestly, the number one strategy is to, you know, think of the basics. Who is your audience? So think of your ideal customer profile. Mm. Where are they? Where is your audience residing? Where can you easily segment and reach your audience? So, you know, I think for me and what I do, it comes down to that. So we are B2B here at BDEX. And so LinkedIn allows me to target people based on their job titles and talk to them about what they're doing in the workplace. So, for example, Instagram may not be as valuable for BDEX. Um, and so I think, you know, it comes down to understanding your audience. Don't forget, don't forget the basics. So that's always number one. Um, but, you know, I think we're at a tipping point right now where things are changing and people are bored and B2B is boring. So one thing I try to do is bring a little fun into it. Um, that's bringing fun into your content by simply just doing videos instead of images. Like people want to hear people talking, you know, do things a little different, get on TikTok. Like you got to try and test new things. Um, but you know, you always, you do still have to like 
continue to do those things that, that still work. So like we have a newsletter, we do email, we do video, um, you know, and, and recycle your content. That's a big one. I'm a solo marketer. We have a couple freelancers who help us, but sure. I can't do everything. So if I do one podcast, that podcast is going to be on LinkedIn as a live. It's going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on YouTube. And then I'm going to cut it up into about two or four clips that can be shared and posted by multiple different people. And then in a couple of months, we might do that whole thing all over again with that same exact podcast. You can also go listen to it, pull content out of it and make a post. Um, so, you know, I guess, yeah, I, for yeah, me, I like it. that it's revisioning, like what are people, where are your, where's your audience and what do they want to consume and think about them first and don't listen to some guru like me to say, Hey, your strategy should be LinkedIn ads. And then you should go over and you need to have HubSpot and you need to make sure that you're grabbing this date. No, like that all sounds great. And I know that's what we all want because that would make our lives easy, right? If someone sure would come tell us exactly. <laughs> I need the perfect strategy. I need it now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like, keep trying, keep testing, try new things. But I think the overall general consensus in B2B in general is stop being so boring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those those are nice points and I agree with most of them. Um, I think... The good thing that smaller companies have as an advantage over larger scale enterprises is they, they're scrappier. So resources go a longer way, right? Like you were saying there, and I'm very much the same Is you might record yeah. one podcast, then you might chop that up because you don't necessarily have the funds to spend tons and tons on a bunch of other media and content. So we record something, we'll chop that up into maybe some video clips on LinkedIn. Maybe we'll make a blog article on it. Maybe it'll put it on a website. Maybe then we'll make a YouTube video out of it and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll stretch it. Um, we don't have to get kind of loads and loads of sign off because we can just make it happen. Um, exactly. So it means yeah. things move faster so you can see results faster. And then bringing me to your point, experimenting, I think that's, in my opinion, something that businesses don't do enough, right? Because um, we're like, just using WebTwist as an example. I mean, we we know that not every channel that we're going to market on is, is necessarily going to work. So understanding that, especially in a B2B context with, like you said, so many options at your disposal, whether that is, LinkedIn ads, whether that's TikTok ads, whether that's going into Google ads, whether that's organic SEO, whether that's organic social, whatever, understanding the market. And like you said, understanding where your ideal client is, what they like consuming, whether that's listening to sales calls that you talked about earlier, understanding kind of where they actually go to educate themselves, to consume content, trying out those those spaces for whether it's two, three months, understanding the market, seeing if they work after a good test. If they do, great. Let's crack on, carry on. If they don't, well, let's let's move on to the next channel and give that a good test. Exactly. So yeah, that's that's good. Let's let's uh, let's shift this back to the initial kind of starting point. So we're talking about we've talked a bit about what what we believe marketing should focus on. So in terms of kind of what sales should, should focus on, is it purely kind of building lists and cold outreach that you believe, or what's what's kind of work with your team? Um, well, you know, I'm one of those people who said, like, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm not running sales right now. I was a sales manager and I did run sales at the last company I worked at. Sure. Um, and some of the things that would work, um, you know, honestly, it's crazy. I think about some of our biggest deals, um, hmm. and some of like the biggest sales we had at that company. And there was always this just amazing relationship between the person who was selling and the person who was buying, um, you know, like six figure deals. I'm thinking of, there were just a couple of them, but they were all with people who the particular salesperson at the time 
had spent a lot of time getting to know. I mean, she could name their dogs. She like, <laughs> it was so for me, like it's, it's relationship building, you know, it's getting to know people, closing that trust gap. Um, yes. And, and the other thing, it, you can't just be a relationship builder, right? You have to also truly understand that your product is going to fit for this person. So you have to understand them, what they're working on, why they need it. Um, and so I think it really just comes down to those two things. Like, are you able to understand why this person needs your product and able to communicate it? Yep. And are you someone that they want to come to, that they want to talk to? Um, you know, because that, that relationship magic is something that I see, I've seen personally mm. in a lot of the biggest deals that I've ever been a part of. Um, yeah. And, you know, that sounds foo-foo and it sounds magical. And again, everybody just wants like, what are those step-by-step things? What are those like easy things I can accomplish? Building a relationship is not easy. It, like not everybody can do it. And that's why not everybody is a salesperson. Um, but you have to have empathy. You have to be able to communicate well. Um, and you have to be able to put others first. Yeah. Yeah. Some some good points there. Do you think that it's important like now and moving forward that salespeople have a personal brand whether that's linkedin twitter somewhere else where the audience is because i've met people on both sides of the spectrum right met sales reps that are kind of killing it making a solid living um and they're they're not even on social and then vice versa i've met people on the other end of the spectrum that are posting daily engaging with the community maybe doing some calls doing some emails and then kind of cracking out social and generating leads from that what are your thoughts i think we're still at a transition point where you can probably get by without being on social if you're a salesperson. But, you know, I think that's only going to last a little, little bit longer. So mm. if you are thinking you're going to be working for another 10, 20 years and you're a salesperson and you're not on social, like you're going to want to do that. If you're retiring, you know, maybe, maybe not so much, Sure. Um, but the way we are moving, your best salespeople are going to be more like marketers because mm. your best salespeople will be on LinkedIn, closing those trust gaps, getting to know people, educating people, sharing content um, with people. And so, you know, I think you can probably get by right now much easier than you'll be able to get by in 10 years if you're not on social media as a salesperson. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak from my perspective with, but I know that if I wasn't on LinkedIn, I wouldn't have landed as many deals for our businesses as we have purely because I've got a habit of, kind of nearly everyone I speak to, my first thought is, okay, we've had a chat, let's connect with them on LinkedIn, send them a quick message, then they're in, in my connections. So they're probably going to see the the stuff I post every day. So eventually, they'll have seen so much of me that when they do eventually email help, hopefully, they'll reach out. So I think as a, as a sales rep, you're kind of almost missing a buck if you if you don't do that. And, totally. and like you say, moving forward. So one final point, Jesse, before we wrap things up, a common uh, common complaint from the sales team. I'm not sure if you get it over at BDEX, but I've certainly had it before. Is that the the leads are, the leads aren't good enough, or the leads aren't qualified enough, or they're not ready to buy? What's your top tips for working with a sales team to actually make sure that the leads are sales ready? I say in inverted commas. Yeah. Well, my tip is that marketing needs to go sit in on some of those calls, and this is why we see a lot of organizations now moving toward having the sales development representatives reporting to marketing. And that's more of the trend now. 
Mm. Um, and that's because marketing needs to be involved on these top of the funnel conversations to help improve the quality of the leads that they're bringing in. It's not yeah. just so they can be there to be seen or to be heard. In fact, the majority of marketers, like I said earlier, they don't even want to go on those calls. So you're going to have to force it but yeah. that's where you're going to get it. Like that is how you're going to get more information to write more content, to produce more videos so that you know you're saying what those top of the funnel leads want to hear. Yeah. And is there any, any examples? Are we talking about kind of listening in for things like common questions that buyers ask? Are we talking about listening to objections or is there any kind of golden nuggets you tend to look out for? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all of those things. And also just like you can kind of listen in on the call for those like hesitation periods, you know, like mm. what what kind of slowed the conversation down or what stopped it from moving forward? Right. What what kind of content could I have had? What like I always leave those calls thinking, what could we have done beforehand? What we would like this person to have seen beforehand that would have made this conversation easier? Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, at the end of the day, that kind of stuff makes everyone's life easier, right? Because if you're putting out this content, it's one, it's actually content that your buyers care about because they're, they're raising those questions on sales calls. Secondly, it's probably going to help you generate more kind of sales qualified leads in the long run. And thirdly, it's actually helping your sales team because it means they're going to spend less time answering those questions. The chances are the buyers have either consumed that content or they can literally say, well, before our next call, I'll point you to this podcast or I'll point you to this blog or this webinar where we actually cover this in detail. So then you can have a, a, a watch or a read of this and then we can catch up kind of next Wednesday on our next call and we can, Kind of go through the next steps, so it's 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 a, it's a win win by the sounds of it. Absolutely, awesome, Jesse. Look, really appreciate the chat. It's been good to to talk all things kind of YB to be lead gen should be down to sales and and not marketing. So with that said, please do tell everyone more about how they can learn from you, connect with you, and the best way to get in touch. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I am glad to be here. And if you would love to get in touch with me or even just like to get in touch with me, um, you can do so. I'm always on LinkedIn. So you can find Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, Lizak on LinkedIn. I've been in the comments of this post, so you can probably find me there and click on me. Otherwise, you can email me at jesse at bdex.com. Awesome. We'll put all of those links and over at the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank you once again for coming on, Jesse. Thank you so much. No worries. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, why not give us a quick rating if you're on the audio podcast or quick subscribe on YouTube. And with that said, I should catch you on the next episode. Appreciate you tuning in.